Pastor Chris's podcast. Do you ever feel like you're stuck? Maybe like you're waiting for something important to happen, but it hasn't happened yet, and you're just stuck in that waiting phase. What is the hardest part about that waiting? I asked that question in a Facebook post this week, and I got several responses from people, and I had to kind of laugh because when asked what is the hardest part of waiting, the number one answer was waiting, (laughs) Uh, being patient and just waiting. Letting go of control was another one. The anticipation. Keep, Keep doing your daily activities while you're waiting. Sometimes, you know, you, you're, you're waiting, something's about to happen, you just, just don't want to do anything until it happens. But you have to keep doing things. Some people said sacrificing pride, not knowing how long you will have to wait, worrying that you will, what, what you might be missing. Another person said worrying that someone else is getting something at your expense because you're not doing something while you're waiting. The unknown, the thoughts and anxieties in your head, trusting God. And, and Ryan said, knowing that there's something you want or that you want to do, but being frustrated because you have to wait to get it. These are all good responses. Forty years of Stanford research found that people, that people able to wait patiently and delay their own gratification are more likely to succeed in life than those who don't. And the Bible is filled with uh, long periods of life when people had to wait and delay gratification and endure hardship. Abraham and Sarah had to wait until they were old in order to have their promised son Isaac. The Hebrews were slaves in Egypt for 400 years waiting to be delivered. And then they waited in the wilderness for 40 years before they were able to enter into the promised land. David had to wait before he became king of Israel. And then there was that 400-year period of waiting between the Old Testament and the New Testament when Jesus was born. And that long period of silence between the Old and New Testament leads me to think that Um, You know, it leads some people to think that nothing important happened during that time when nothing was written in the Bible, but nothing could be farther from the truth. When the Old Testament closes, the Persians are in control and everyone is speaking Aramaic. But by the time the New Testament begins, the Romans are in control and everybody is speaking Greek. So apparently something happened that was important in between. And I want to talk about that a little bit today. And I want to recap the history of Israel from 475 B.C. to the time that Jesus was born. But first I want to read a strange apocalyptic passage of Scripture from the book of Daniel in chapter 8. I want to read it because it is a prophecy that God gave to Daniel while he was living in exile in Babylon. But it was about all that would happen and all of the kingdoms who would rule over Israel before the Messiah was born. So we're going to read this passage and then we're going to look at the actual history of the intertestamental period. 
while we look at the, the passage again. So Daniel chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. It says, While he was speaking, I fainted, and I lay there with my face to the ground. But Gabriel roused me with a touch and helped me to my feet. Then he said, I am here to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. The two-horned ram represents the, king of Medi- the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece. And the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire. The four prominent horns that are placed that replace the one large horn, show that the Greek empire will break into four kingdoms, but none as great as the first. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What a strange passage. If you really want to get weirded out, read the whole chapter. Because in the 8th chapter of Daniel, uh, first you read the prophecy with all of the symbology, and it's so crazy and hard to understand And then we read what we read today, which is the explanation of the weird vision that Daniel had. But it refers to actual events that happened between 475 B.C. and 4 B.C. when Jesus was born. So I want to look at that history and listen to the parts of Daniel's prophecy. And you will see how they line up with actual historical events. Daniel 8.19 says, I'm here to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. Well, Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 B.C. by Babylon, and the Jews, including Daniel, were taken into captivity where they lived in Babylon. However, and that's where Daniel received this vision. However, Babylon was destroyed by the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel 8.20 prophesying those events, says the two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. These were the people who defeated Babylon and took power. Then the king of Persia sent the Jews home to Jerusalem, and they rebuilt the temple in 515 B.C. And then the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, was written around 475 B.C. The Jews remained in Jerusalem, but they were under Persian rule until a guy named a guy from Greece that you may have heard of named Alexander the Great. You remember what Alexander the Great did? He tried to conquer the world, and he, he succeeded almost conquering most of the known world of the Mediterranean world anyway. And so the Greeks came to power, and the whole world included... Israel, and Jerusalem. And so, from 336 to 323 B.C., Israel was part of the Greek Empire, and they learned how to speak Greek. Greek became the universal language of the world at that time. The same way that today, for the most part, English is the universal world. So, um, most people in America only speak one language, which is English. But if you live in China... Uh, A lot of times you speak Chinese and you speak English. And if you live in France, you might speak uh, French, but also English. And that way, people from China can speak to people from France using that common language. That's a very common thing in our world today. But in uh, in the ancient world, Greek 
was the common language, which is why the New Testament would eventually be written in Greek so that people all over the world would be, regardless of what language they spoke, would be able to speak, would be able to understand it. And so Daniel chapter 8, verse 21 says, The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire, which was Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great died unexpectedly in 323 BC, and after his death, the Greek empire splintered into four smaller, less powerful kingdoms. The, Ptol the Ptolemaic kingdom of Egypt, the Seleucid empire of Syria, the kingdom of Pergamon in Asia Minor, and the Macedonian kingdom in Greece. Daniel 8.22 says, The four prominent horns that replace the one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four kingdoms, but none as great as the first. This is actual history. After Alexander the Great's death, the Israelites were ruled by the Ptolemaic kingdom of Egypt from 323 to 198 B.C. And the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek, giving us the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It was also during this period that the Jews began to separate themselves into two major schools of thought. Um, one were the Hellenists, who wanted to welcome Greek culture and language and philosophy into the Jewish religion. On the other opposite side were the Hasidic Jews, who wanted to keep Jewish culture and religion pure and undefiled by these foreign influences. And so we had these two different camps within the Jewish religion. The pious ones, the, as they were called, the Hasidic Jews, eventually evolved to become the Pharisees that we read about in the New Testament. Now we're going to look more at the other kingdoms that ruled over Israel in the coming weeks. But just quickly, we see on the timeline that Syria, that the Syrian kingdom conquered Israel from the Egyptians in 198 B.C. and ruled until 165 B.C. Then the Maccabean revolt of 168 led to a 100-year period of independence for Israel. And this is also the event that inspired the modern-day Jewish holiday of Hanukkah which has been going on this week and comes to an end on the eighth day tomorrow. So this is where we get Hanukkah. But the independence of Israel was short-lived and tumultuous and never really lived up to the principles or the ideals of God in the Old Testament for his kingdom. And so the Romans conquered Israel in 63 B.C. and ruled for 400 years into until 313 A.D., the very entire time of the New Testament, when the New Testament was being written. And so throughout that, God's people were waiting. were waiting for a Messiah to come who would save them. Waiting can be really hard, especially when you don't know when the waiting will end and you feel like you've lost control and you're just there. And you're just being carried along and you have no control over it. And you don't even know how long is it going to go on. It can feel like everything is lost and out of control. But God is in 
control. Daniel's prophecy shows that God is in control. God knew everything that was going to happen in Israel in between the Old Testament and the New Testament before it ever happened. And God also knew how all of these events would shape the world and get us all ready to receive the Messiah. And some people will wonder and will ask, well, why did, why did God have to wait? Why not just send the Messiah? Why wait 400 years? I don't pretend to know the mind of God and all of his plans, but just looking at the story, you can see some things that were important developments. There was a huge difference between the world of 500 B.C. and the world that came to pass when Christ was born. The Greek language came into existence and united the world in such a way so that people from all across the world could talk to one another and share news and events so that the gospel of Christ could spread from one end of the Mediterranean to the other. Throughout that entire region, people could understand the stories and the teachings and the miracles and the purpose of Christ the Messiah. New roads and international trade routes, diplomatic agreements were made that made travel possible. We take for granted today that you can just hop on an airplane and fly from one side of the world to the other. That was not always the case in the ancient world. But as these different empires began to coalesce, all of that became possible so that people could travel reasonably safe and fast from one side of the world to the other. In 500 B.C., people were still using scrolls and clay tablets. The New Testament was written in books and letters. We think, well, what's the difference? We think that that's the difference. But, you know, a Bible takes up this much space. Can you imagine having a whole Bible written on clay tablets? You'd have to have multiple carts being pulled by oxen in order to transport it from one place to another. And everybody, when they think of the Bible, they think of scrolls. They don't realize the, the, the dramatic change from scrolls to books. They say, what's the difference? Well, you know, in a scroll, can you imagine if I said, hey, everybody turn to Psalm 23. Get out your scrolls, and you've got to get out your scroll, and you've got to roll it all the way out. And then you've got to find the middle. There's Psalm 23. Whereas with a book, you just open it, and there it is. And don't you know, people, you know, people today, we, you know, we get grumpy about that new technology that comes out, but people don't realize that this is a new technology that revolutionized the world. Don't you know that somewhere there was a Jewish rabbi with his old scroll sitting there thinking, I can't believe these young whippersnappers and their new technology, all them running around with their books, why can't they just stick with scrolls? Scrolls is the way to go. I ain't never opened a book in my life. <laughs> this is new technology that helped revolutionize the world because all of a sudden people could cheaply and easily obtain paper, and somebody like Paul could write a letter 
And he could put, give it to a courier who could travel on those amazing roads that had been built. And they could go from one side of the Roman Empire all the way to the other side of the Roman Empire. And they could tell somebody on the far end of the world, Jesus Christ died for your sins. And if you have faith in him, then he will save you. And the world was not ready for that in 500 B.C. We were not ready for Christ. Things had to happen behind the scenes. But it's hard to wait. It's hard to be stuck in between. Studies show that people who know how to wait well are more successful and happy than those who need immediate gratification. Whether or not you feel like you have the discipline to be patient, there are things you can do to improve your ability to wait. You can train your patience just like you can train your muscles to be stronger. Here are five tips that will help you practice being patient. First of all, don't worry. Don't worry. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's worries are enough for today. Matthew 6, 34. And so he taught his disciples to simply seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust God to take care of all of those other things. All of it will work itself out. All of it will fall into place. It's not like nobody is tending to it. God has got it. God is tending to it. He wants you to focus on his kingdom. He will take care of all of that other stuff. So stay focused on doing God's will Everything else will fall into its proper place and you won't be letting your thoughts be dominated about worrying about things you can't even control anyway. So don't worry. Second, enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment. When your thoughts are consumed by what, by what might happen next, you can miss out on the beautiful life you have right now. Learn to appreciate the many, many blessings God is giving you today. Tomorrow will be here soon enough. Now there's two old expressions that come to my mind as I think about that. The first one is, a watched pot never, a watched pot never boils, right? You think about that. The other one is, Time flies when? That's right. Put those two things together and think about it. Just as an example. Suppose in January you're going to go to Disney World. Everybody loves to go to Disney World. And you find out today you're going to Disney World. You can't wait to go to Disney World. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when I'm waiting for something like that to happen, sometimes I just wish I could just take a nap and wake up and it was time to go. Because everything that's happening between now and then, I don't even care about. I'm excited about that wonderful thing that's going to happen a month from now. But if I go to sleep and just sleep until then, I will miss all of the wonderful things going to happen between now and then. And I can't do that anyway. So if I'm just all the time thinking about, it's like a watched pot never boils. If all I'm looking at is what's going to happen down the road, it's going to take forever to get here. But if I enjoy my life right now, 
Time flies when you're having fun. And isn't that the truth? How many of you have looked back and thought, man, you know, my teenage years or my 20s, they just went by so fast. And uh, your kids, they grow up, and then your grandkids. and Life goes by so fast while you're not watching. But if you're having, you're having fun. But we worry about things that's going to happen in the future, and they never seem to get here. Meanwhile, the things God wants to ha- us to enjoy now are slipping by so fast. So, enjoy the moment. Number three, practice being uncomfortable. There are going to be times in your life when you experience pain and hurt and sickness and many uncomfortable circumstances. That's life. There's nothing you can do about it. You might as well practice getting used to it. It will help you in the long run. So practice denying yourself. Jesus did that. Jesus and his disciples fasted. Skip a meal every now and then. It's going to make you uncomfortable. You're going to feel hungry, but you're not going to die. So skip a meal as a way of practicing being uncomfortable. Spend some time being bored on purpose. We've forgotten how to do that because we have so many things in life now to fill our time. And sometimes we're filling our time with meaningless stuff. But I remember being a a kid and we had like three channels on TV and there was never anything on. And, um, you know, we didn't have all our electronic devices and video games. We just had to go outside and be bored. But that was a good thing because I got a chance to exercise my imagination and so be creative. And so much of that time helped me. Why do we not do that today? It's nothing wrong with having the technology and the things that we can use to distract us and entertain us. But sometimes we just need to put it down and let ourselves be bored. There's nothing wrong with being bored. When we're bored, it creates space sometimes to hear what God might want to say to us. If we're always filling our time with with meaningless noise and distraction, there's no time to hear God. So exercise being bored. And exercise physically. Exercise hard. Make your body sore. Make your body scream at you sometimes and say, what are you doing to me? Because you know, there are going to be times in your life when you're going to go through something painful out, that's out of your control. Wouldn't it be great to have already put your body through it in a, in a, in a uh, controlled environment? And you know, oh, I have felt pain before. <laughs> I have been tired and fatigued before. I have had sore muscles before. Maybe I can handle this painful experience that I'm dealing with right now. Learn to deal with pain and discomfort in a controlled environment. It will help you deal with being uncomfortable later on in life because you will be at one point and probably at many, many different points in life. Number four, make yourself wait before you make a big purchase. Rather than making an impulsive buy, 
set a rule that you have to wait at least 24 hours before you buy something. If you see it today and you want it today, in the world we live in, you can probably get it today. But instead, make yourself wait 24 hours. It will probably still be there tomorrow. So wait until tomorrow. And here's two things that could come out of that. Number one, you may realize tomorrow that you didn't need what you were going to buy. You may not even want what you were going to buy. You only were impulsively thinking you wanted it or needed it. But today, is a whole, it's been 24 hours and you realize, I don't need that junk. Why did I need that air fryer anyway? It's just sitting over there in the corner, collecting dust. I don't even use it. That's one thing that might happen. A second thing that might happen is it will train you to delay gratification. And that is a good thing. Last thing, challenge yourself. You know, sometimes while you're waiting, you just, you feel truly stuck. Like you need to do something, but you can't do something or you don't know what to do. So I say, in those moments, challenge yourself. If you feel stuck, like you're not going, some, like you're not going anywhere, then do something proactive to improve yourself. Times when you are waiting are great times to get training that will give you new skills. So go back to school and get that degree you are working on but never finished. Or go back to school and get another degree. Or take a course. Um, maybe you've always wanted to be able to draw or paint or be artistic, but you never could. I bet you Dalton State has got a class just for you where you could learn those things or some other community organization around town. What do you need to learn? What do you want to learn? While you're waiting, that can be a great time to do it. Read a book. Learn something from a book. Listen to a podcast. Learn something from a YouTube video. These things will give you new skills and insights that may also inspire you about the next steps that God wants you to take when you're done waiting. The good news is, while we're waiting, we're not waiting alone. Even though sometimes those can be lonely moments of waiting, you feel alone. Feelings aren't always reliable. What is reliable is the Word of God. It tells us that God will never leave us or forsake us. God is with us in Christ while we wait. Jesus is there. Holy Communion reminds us that Jesus is not dead. He is risen. He is alive. He is with us always. He is with us at this table as we celebrate Holy Communion. And so as we wait, we find new strength and courage and hope while we wait for his return. And so we can take the bread and wine today, and as you do, may it nourish your soul and fill you with hope as you wait patiently for his return, and as you wait patiently for the arrival of the Christmas celebration, and as you wait for whatever important changes or whatever things you feel like you are waiting for in this life. Christ is here waiting with you. So come, taste, and see. On the night that Christ 
was arrested. He had one last meal with his disciples, and at that meal he took the bread. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body that is given for you. Likewise, after the meal, he took the cup. He raised it to heaven and asked the Lord to bless it. out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. So let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this holy meal that reminds us of what Christ has done for us, how we find salvation and his sacrificial love, and how he is always present with us even in this very moment. And so we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on this bread and wine, that they may be the body and blood of Christ nourishing us today. And pour your Holy Spirit out upon us as well, that we might be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.